Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talking Smack. I'm your host, Josh Scar. With me this week is Alex Lasden. Alex, welcome back. Uh, thank you, thank you. And we got a lot of news to talk about. Again, it's not a Talking Smack episode without some kind of Star Wars news, apparently. Always. <laughs> they are dominating the news cycle this week. So we're going to start with some uh, lesser news and kind of build up to that. At the beginning of the week, I thought this was the big news. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis has signed an exclusive deal with DC Comics. For those of you who don't know who Mike, Brian Michael Bendis is, he is the creator of characters like Jessica Jones and Miles Morales. He was actually one of the first writers that I really started to kind of resonate with when he and Mark Bagley were collaborating on Ultimate Spider-Man when they Marvel kicked off the uh, the Ultimate Comics universe, which... The Ultimate Comics universe was pretty awful, but the Ultimate Spider-Man comics from Peter Parker building up to Miles Morales was fantastic. The art style changed a little bit, and that kind of bothered me, but the story stayed really solid. I don't know if it's necessarily a giant loss for Marvel, just because he's been very miss lately. He's mm-hmm. not been hit or miss. It's been a lot of miss. And he was the guy behind Civil War Two, yeah. and it's... It, it, it was time for him to go, I think. I think it was uh, a beneficial mutual parting of ways. And I think that uh, whatever he ends up on with DC, he'll he'll do a pretty good job with if he ends up creating new characters, whether they be like a new Green Lantern character or a new Bat Family character. I don't know. Batman's in pretty good hands right now. I, I'm really enjoying that comic arc where uh, he and Catwoman are engaged. <laughs> And uh, it's it's very intriguing. And then there's also, he could take over Detective Comics, Action Comics. Uh, Superman, I think, is in really good hands, too, with Superman's current story arc. Um, so I don't know exactly where he fits in unless he's going to take over a quirky book like Harley Quinn or something. But I they just have the first issue coming out with the new team after Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palamati's arc ends in December. So... Who knows where he's going to end up and what he's going to do. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would do a lesser-known character. So I don't think he's going to do anything with like Nightwing or Swamp Thing or anything like that. I I couldn't tell you what he's going to do. Uh, but whatever he takes over at DC, I'm, I'm interested in at least giving the first few issues a try. Yeah, I don't um, necessarily follow comics that closely, but looking over his bibliography and all the way he's helped shape Marvel over the last 16 or so years is it's going to be interesting that he's moved away and that Marvel didn't try to like chain him to the desk or something with a truckload of money and some or something but um, I would like to see what they do what he what his first project would actually be I'm kind of hoping for kind of a Neil Gaiman you know uh, death kind of thing where he um, he takes over and something lesser known something interesting and starts building his own like corner of the universe but if he wants to take over somebody big, well, I'm sure I'm sure DC is going to be all for that. Yeah, and I don't think DC brings him in, uh, especially on an exclusive contract, to put him somewhere he doesn't want to be. So whatever whatever he wants to do, I'm sure they're going to let him do. Well, we'll see. They haven't announced anything definitively. He just he tweeted out that he's moving over and he signed a, an exclusive contract. I don't know if that prohibits him from continuing any independent comics that he has going or he did have going. And now Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan, they have departed from their posts as the masterminds slash Kevin Feige's, if you will, of the Universal Studios Dark Universe movie 
universe. <laughs> they have the dark universe is done. Um, the the mummy failed miserably domestically. Internationally, it did pretty well, uh, but I think that's largely just because Tom Cruise is still a name internationally. Whereas in the the U.S., he's he's got Mission Impossible, and that's kind of it. I I know you were kind of excited for that drug lord movie that he was coming out in. I forget what it was called. Um, American, American made. original or American made. I don't. I think that kind of has already petered out of cinemas. Yeah, it would open up about a month, uh, about a month before the U.S. worldwide, and did fairly well overseas. And then it's pretty much already gone for the for the U.S. They think part of what hit it not, uh, not being able to do as well is that Tom Cruise did not go on his normal month long traveling the entire world promoting it um, kind of thing. But it was a smaller movie anyway. It was just I think forty or fifty million dollars was its budget. To know that this universe, which I always thought was a really weird fit for him. I, he seems to be someone who he has his one franchise that he does you know a movie every few few years to remind everyone that he's still around and then he always picks these weird passion projects that he decided to go for a, a universal monster movie universe always seemed like a really bizarre fit to me and he did seem to suggest that he wanted to be there because he was talking about how he grew up watching the black and white monster movies and all this stuff. But then the movie came out and there was rumors or he was fighting with the first time director over how his character was being portrayed. And then Universal was stepping in saying you have to just shove as many references to the other properties in there as possible. Because that works so well for Iron Man too. Oh, yeah. And so doesn't do anything for me and i still have yet to see it because once they just got closer and closer it just i got tired of it i felt like i've seen the entire movie before it even came out because i'm like oh okay all right so they find this she comes out she destroys stuff and then thanks for those spoiler 30 second tv ads where i know that then he becomes possessed by her and becomes a mummy and then i read the wiki right up and sure enough that's exactly what happened so like great yeah, I'm still going to give it a shot whenever it comes to Prime, Hulu, Netflix, whatever it is. But all I can feel is a little bit bad for that publicity photo of these six of them standing there going, we have a dark universe. <laughs> and we're already all named and the dates are picked and everything. Yeah, the next movie up was supposed to be Angelina Jolie as the Bride of Frankenstein, which to me is kind of weird when you don't have a Frankenstein that's been introduced yet. But we were discussing this before we started recording where this is... The third time they failed to launch this universe that they wanted to do. They started with the the Wolfman with Benicio del Toro. And then they tried again with Dracula Untold. And now again with The Mummy, which I, I haven't seen it. I had no desire to see it. It just, it didn't look fun. It didn't look creepy. It just, it looked like a really bad script of Mission Impossible with some sci-fi and mystical stuff added in. Yeah, well, that's the thing that kind of excited me was I did like that they did the whole vomit comet crashing airplane thing that looked cool, and then some of the other stunts because I'm always down for Tom Cruise doing whatever wacky stunt he wants to do, and it always is going to be there impressed. And then basically, I heard is at once that was like the very beginning of the movie, and then once you're past that, it's running and sometimes zombie mummies, and then a lot of homages to all the other movies, and then apparently. A really weird scene with Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe hulking out. Sorry, um, Jekyllene out, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I, 
kind of annoyed because I would like a dark universe because they had that and they had the crossovers. They had all that in the 30s and 40s, but they wanted to do something just me too. I don't get the appeal of the dark universe though, only because if you're building towards something like a greater evil where all these other monsters have to come together to fight these monsters, it's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. All right. That movie was so bad, it forced Sean Connery to retire. <laughs> uh, Are we trying to force Tom Cruise to retire or uh, Russell Crowe? I mean, I, I know a lot of people would not care about that. I mean, I personally wouldn't care if it forced Angelina Jolie to retire. I don't get, I don't get her, which is, uh, again, I'm, I don't get a lot of things, which is something we're going to get into with today's topic. I mean, seriously, like the girl who plays the mummy, her career is probably already done. <laughs> She'll be fine. She'll be back in Star Trek Beyond 2 as that white alien with the blue stripes. Was that her? <laughs> yeah, that's her. <laughs> oh, well, then yeah, her career is fine because as long as no one can recognize her. Uh, so yeah, the Dark Universe is unironically dead. Oh, <laughs> bad pun. <laughs> it would have been a pun if I hadn't said it anyway. <laughs> I I personally don't care. I don't see the appeal of the dark universe. I don't really get what they're building towards unless it was going to cross over with Hellboy somehow. I, I don't know what they're building towards. Oh, that could have been good. Mind blown. Oh, that would have been fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I, what I that's what it have been. They would have done like six, seven movie series. They would have built it up. You know, um, they have the mummy. They have, they weren't going to follow the man. DC plan and just dive right in. No, 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 no. Yeah. If they had like a nine thing plan, you got the Frankenstein, Frankenstein's bride, you got the Wolfman, you got Dracula, you got the mummy, you got the mummy too. You got the invisible man, <laughs> Jack the Ripper, throw him in there. Why not? The, you know, have all, uh, build That's... movies with Dracula's brides and then have them have the, you know, the whole portal in the air that'll, that oh, overdone the complete thing and have it turn out that with the ultimate evil, they have to fight is Hellboy. And Ron Perlman is Hellboy again, and it's going to be directed by Guillermo del Toro. This has been his plan all along. Hellboy 3, every monster versus Hellboy. Uh, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> I'd be there every movie if I knew that was the end game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. In other crossover news, Disney has hit, stalling, uh, has hit a stalling point or a stalemate would be a better term, in negotiations to try and purchase parts or assets of 21st Century Fox, mainly their movie department, and a handful of other small channels like FX. I assume that would include FXX. Among other things, this would also include, obviously, movies like X-Men, Alien, the Alien franchise, the Predator franchise, the Planet of the Apes franchise, Kingsman, Die Hard and mm. Avatar, not the Last Airbender, not the good, not the good Avatar, <laughs> not the one you have but the James desk. Cameron one, mm. uh, which I mean that would make sense because James Cameron's already got Disney or Disney's got James Cameron in their pocket. Well, someone's got someone in their pocket because uh, they've got the the world of Pandora at Disney World in the Animal Kingdom now, which I've actually heard really good reviews about. That. I have That's a friend, beautiful. my buddy Marcos, uh, has gone twice now, and there's some really cool stuff. Like I guess the the flight of the Navi thing uh, is kind of like a VR experience, and the the saddle that you sit on uh, to re represent the uh, dragon thing. Yeah, the wing back. Yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, whatever it's called. I think it was a banshee. I think it was like that simple. Like the thing actually, quote unquote, breathes. 
creepy. Yeah, so like you can feel it breathing as you you straddle it. Oh, that's weird. He says it's super cool. Oh yeah, but still that'd be creepy. <laughs> uh, but the the most important thing about Disney trying to acquire these assets from Fox is that Fox owns the distribution rights to Star Wars uh, episodes four, five, six, one, two, and three through twenty twenty. The kicker is they own the distribution rights for episode four forever. If Disney is able to buy these assets from Fox, they own the entire collection. And something we were discussing earlier in the week, uh, Fox also owns the rights to the theme music of Star Wars. That's the weird part. Like how I know that um, it was one of those 70s deals where George Lucas was negotiating basically backwards you know the whole like oh yeah we're gonna hire somebody it's a great idea he's like no 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 i want this you know and they're like okay we're gonna give you less money okay and i get the rights to this okay we're gonna give you less money and i get a director yeah you get less money and i want the rights to the sequels less money and the toys whatever (laughs) you know so it's one of those things where literally the movie was made super super cheap and he had the vision and it worked out Fox owns the rights to the music versus the composer or the distribution rights. That's the weird part. Or the studio. Or the studio. Something. That's just bizarre. Because Lucasfilm made the movies. Yeah. But Fox distributed. And so Fox owns those distribution rights. So for kind of an analogy, Disney owns the distribution rights to even the original Doug animated series. Right. Not just Doug when it moved over to ABC when he was in middle school. Okay. So that's why Amazon has a print-on-demand service for the Doug series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'll never get Nickelodeon to re-air those episodes because they don't have those rights anymore. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of a similar thing to that. But if Disney is able to pull off this merger or purchase... They would own the rights to not only the distribution rights to these movies, they would own the original prints. We could finally get high-definition remasterings of the original releases, which means no Ewoks blinking, no awkward Vader nose. Not nose, like what's on his face, like (laughs) the word no. I can watch the special editions or the Blu-ray editions, whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. on... uh, on Blu-ray, except for Return of the Jedi. There are way too many changes in Return of the Jedi. You have the musical number, which is awful, but I can tolerate. Uh, you have the blinking Ewoks. But then there's a spot at the end of the movie when uh, when Palpatine is electrifying or electrocuting, electrocuting Luke. And Luke is pleading with Vader, you know, Father, please help me, save me, whatever. He, Vader is like, looking back and forth that part's not changed but he sits there and he goes no 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 (laughs) and then he throws the emperor down the the shaft and that part just kills me because it's not necessary have you uh have you seen the youtube video of that where like they actually compare the original scene and you just hear the score and then they add and then the remastered where they add that and it just completely just overwhelms and just butchers the emotional resonance of that scene. Because I haven't seen that comparison, but I mean, it, oh. you don't you don't need the comparison. You just need to know what the original was. Yeah, no, the original it, it, it was all silence and him looking and Luke screaming, and, and you just have this blank stare on Vader's face. You just see him looking back and mm-hmm. forth. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know what he's thinking. Nope. He's Vader. He's supposed to be the biggest badass and most evil bastard in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. 
and he goes and saves his son. It's a it's an amazing turning point. You don't need him going no, <laughs> no. You don't need another no in the Star Wars universe. Right. There's plenty of them. I'm really, really, really excited about the idea of Disney buying the assets. I mean, of course, the behind-the-scenes stuff is just kind of crazy. If you start looking at, like, the reason why Fox may be selling it is because Rupert Murdoch, who owns everything, he has kind of been sidelined by his younger sons who want to set their own mark on it, which is why they had all this purging of the last year and a half of a bunch of Fox News people they got rid of. And they are trying to launch Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2, and they're, like, negotiating rights for different stuff. So their big thing is they want to focus on news and sports, which is why they're trying to which is what they are um, want to build their brand off of. And they want to get rid of, the, um, cut the rest of the stuff and go. So there was some rumor that they were actually negotiating with, they had negotiated with Universal last year for like a collection, a batch of things. And then someone of course trolled on the internet saying like, well, the reason why Disney's interested is because they were going to offer the X-Men to DC. And then someone's like, yeah, 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 no, of course that's all crap. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that, idea, that's another thing. If yeah. if they like we said, um, they would get the rights to the X Men and the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. back to Marvel, and then uh, not necessarily the most important thing, but something that just adds an ambiance to the Star Wars movies is we would get those twenty first twentieth century Fox themes back in front mm-hmm. of Star Wars. I know you have your your feelings towards the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I think it's fine. It it could be better. It could be worse. Right. But it, it is missing something. And I think part of it is that 21st Century Fox build up oh, to the title screen. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. That pisses me off. That I'm going there seeing a Star Wars movie. Having, and it's just quiet. Having, you know, watched, having watched them on VHS. Having watched the remasters in the movie theater. Having watched them on TV. Having, I didn't, having seen some of the Blu-rays. Mm. But then, you know, of course, seeing the prequels, and then I'm sitting there going, like, all right, there's a... Because the thing, the thing about it is that it's not just it's, you know, oh, Fox is releasing it. It's the fanfare. Yeah. It's the... Dun, 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 it's, the it's the prelude. Yeah, exactly. You get hyped, and then it just trails off. You have the black. You, you start it's silence, the and then you see a long time ago in a yeah. galaxy far, far away, and then you bam! Exactly. And Disney, I don't know why they lease it. Put something, put the train that they got or Tinkerbell or something. But, Instead, it's just like, okay, cool. Last trailer, silence, Lucasfilm Sparkles. I would prefer the Lucasfilm Sparkles with nothing, or I would prefer Lucasfilm to develop their own theme. Yeah. Because you can't put the Disney. <laughs> you can't put that in front of Star Wars. It's not the same. It's not that fanfare that Fox has. Disney's is more like wistful and longing where fox is just like orchestra like you know beethoven just hit that note and as as many mistakes as fox has made in the last few years keeping the theme that fanfare is pantamount no it's fantastic you you can't change that that's like the uh the mgm lion you can't Mm. take the lion out of that logo but yeah, getting it, it it won't obviously happen for episode eight, but we've got two years for them to figure that out and uh, mm-hmm. get that in front of because Fox can easily just distribute that movie. Oh, easy. Under, or they can distribute that under the Fox banner, no problem. Oh, that'd be fun. And they can add that in front of it in episode nine. What better way to kick off episode nine with a lot of people like you who are very skeptical with JJ uh, to hit that nostalgia note with that Fox uh, fanfare at the beginning, though? I'd be sold. Like, oh, it's back. Oh, there it is. This is fantastic. 
because it, it does lose a little something without something there. And I, and I know Disney is trying to um, let Lucasfilm do their own thing, but there needs some... That fanfare is like thing. the warm-up band. Yeah. It's, it, that, it's that thing that just gets you that extra there has, psyched. There has to be a transition from 25 minutes of damn trailers oh, into, into Star Wars. <laughs> when we went to go see Thor, um, our theater typically does like a 7 p.m. show for the advanced screening. Mm-hmm. They moved Thor to 7.30 and the trailers in front of Thor lasted like 35 minutes. So oh. we didn't we didn't get out of the theater until about 9:30, 9:45ish. Because obviously it's a Marvel movie, so you got to stay for the credits. And Maybe yeah, they're worth it at the end, but yeah. Yeah, and one of the movies we're going to talk about here is 2 hours and 40 minutes long like as is. Yep. And I just kept thinking, and this is one of the reasons why it's one of my you can only watch this once movies is because it's so long. And then if you add trailers in front of it for a theater going experience, it's like a three hour and 10 minute theater going experience. Yeah, okay. I enjoy long movies. I mm-hmm. like it. Two hour, 20, two hour, 15, two hour and 30 minute. Even mm-hmm. the two hour and 30 minute is just pressing my, pressing my buttons. It's getting close to, to going too far. Oh yeah. Unless it's a really good movie. Disney, please, please, please find a way to get this Fox thing done. Uh, obviously, they can keep 20th Century Fox as is, but they would have to do some rebranding, I think, for channels like FX. And, yeah. Uh, but one of the other things that I think I've seen a lot of people fussing about is that the local Fox channels would stay the same. Those would remain with 21st Century Fox. They, they would not transition to ABC or Disney under that banner. No, that's um, actually something interesting that I read about quite a while ago is that how actual little control Fox has over local programming. Like a mo- you have um, CBS, NBC, uh, ABC. They have a ton of control over the local affiliate stations they do. Now, the reason why um, if you watch Fox, if you're Central Time like we are, it's 7 to 9 is Fox programming, 9 o'clock is whatever the local affiliate does, which is typically news, versus ABC, NBC, all them, which they control 7 to 10. The reason why that Fox has never extended from that 9 to 10 o'clock hour is because the local affiliates have voting control over what they can do, and they constantly vote to air their own local news network and then reruns of TV shows. And Fox had approached them um, back when they they were firing all cylinders, late 90s, early 2000s, wanting to say, hey, listen, we'd like to have like American Idol go a little longer or we'd like to have like this, you know, this show go longer. Can we go to 930? Can we push stuff back? And they pushed back and said no. Transitioning, we've been on this topic a lot longer than I thought we would. Sticking with the Star Wars news, it was announced late on Thursday, I believe, that Ryan Johnson will be helming a new Star Wars trilogy taking place in a corner of the universe that we have never been before. What that means, we don't know. Uh, Many people are speculating that it's the Old Republic. Please. Many are stating that the Old Republic video game from Bioware, the MMORPG that's out there, and the uh, Xbox games, Knights of the Old Republic, Knights of the Old Republic 2. Please. They're still arguing that those count as canon, so they can't go back that way. Please, 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 please. Darth Revan, Darth Revan, Darth Revan. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of territory they can go. My, my big question. I, I can't really formulate an opinion on this. I, I'm a little dumbfounded that Ryan Johnson would pass on Episode Nine, but take on this greater mantle of being the Kevin Feige of a brand new trilogy. 
which I mean, he's he's writing and directing the first one, and then he's just kind of overseeing the other two. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know who the other directors are going to be. There's a lot of speculation that Dave Filoni, the uh, guy who helped create Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, might actually get the second or third installment. Please. he He's the guy to go to for Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. Like He was George Lucas's heir apparent until uh, the merger with Disney or the, the selling of the rights to Disney and Kathleen Kennedy kind of took over. Uh, Dave Filoni was right there with George Lucas with like almost everything. And Dave, George Lucas gave him so much input on how to build the, the universe of the Clone Wars series. He's a walking encyclopedia for Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Johnson has even deferred to Dave Filoni for certain things. He's on record as saying as such. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get maybe our first Star Wars female director within that trilogy. And I wouldn't be surprised if Dave Filoni takes one of those two movies. What they're going to be, no flipping clue. The pessimistic side of me immediately went, this is the most terrible, horrible idea ever. Because when you, when I think about success, the people who are trying to do successful trilogies or get in there and try to like overtake part of a brand, I immediately think of Harry Potter where movies four through Fantastic Beasts are the same director and it's his same vision and style. And I... To me, it's just diminishing returns. You have, you know what this guy's going to shoot. You know how bland it's going to be. And then I start thinking of successful franchises where every, almost every single movie changes hands. You have the Marvel franchises who most movies are changing hands. You do have some shepherds in there, um, like the Russo brothers currently, but they're even, they admit that they're gone after this next movie. Uh, you have um, Takiti... Taika Waititi. Yeah, Taika Waititi, who he did this amazing movie. He actually made a good Thor movie, and he's already has an idea for Thor 4 if he's given the reins to it. Um, you have James Gunn. Who, I just want more Korg. Oh, yes. <laughs> Piss off, ghost. <laughs> you have James Gunn who brings his own kind of style to it, but they're allowing them to interpret in different ways and have different mandates. Then you have the James Bond franchise who, who it seems to work better when they allow it, when they, it's one and done directors, when they come back, you kind of get this weirdness going on. When you had we, from you went with Skyfall, which was all right, pretty decent kind of movie, and then you have Spectre, which is like that's just a flaming pile. But the idea of an unknown part of the universe with three different directors who are bringing their own vision, shepherded by somebody like the original trilogy was. Oh yeah, there's another example. Yeah, with the same director and writer for one, two, and three, it doesn't go well. And then so I'm looking at this going like, could we have Darth Revan? Could we have 10,000 Sith versus 10,000 Jedi? Can we have a movie that's not focused on Han Solo, the Millennium Falcon, Boba Fett, the Skywalkers? It's an entire universe to explore, and they actually may be able to give us something new, something challenging, something different from the Star Wars universe. That something not, that's not tied to the Skywalkers or the Death Star or Emperor Palpatine in any way. Something that's not tied to to the slavish worshipping of 4 through 6, like the Clone Wars and then um, Rebels is doing currently. Then, yes, I understand they're working a little parts of it, but it's the slavish devotion for 4 through 6. He's going off in his own direction. He's being given free reign. Please be good. Please be good. Come on. I want something good. And I mean, it, it, I think it's kind of a, a testament to how well he worked with Kathleen Kennedy and everyone else, uh, JJ Abrams and everyone in the writing room and the producers. 
uh, if they're trusting him to kind of shepherd his own trilogy, mm-hmm. I think that speaks to how well they view The Last Jedi, which makes me even more excited for The Last Jedi. I'm looking way past Last Jedi to this new thing. <laughs> I'm looking at this going like, he somehow duped Kathleen Kennedy and didn't get fired and she's given him three movies? I love this man. I don't even care what this is. I'll buy ten tickets just just to say I did, just to keep him going. Honestly, because we don't know what this new movie is this new trilogy is going to be about my only concern is oversaturation because uh is this going to come 18 months to two years after episode nine personally i would like to see about a a three to five year gap in between the two hopefully nothing in between those movies like we have sandwiched right now where we have seven rogue one eight han solo nine probably obi-wan and if we have obi-wan after nine that means we, and they plan on having whatever this new trilogy is start a year after that. I, I don't want a Star Wars movie every year. It, it begins to just become oversaturated. It loses its luster, even if it's not an episode movie or a saga movie, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It, it just kind of loses its value. I mean, well, Kathleen Kennedy's already said that there's going to be 10, 11, 12. She's mentioned that, you know. After nine, well, you, you, uh, she said something along the lines of, after nine, you'll understand who's left remaining and where they'll carry the next trilogy. Well, yeah, because they, they better cut off the... They better have just a concise story within the three yeah. episodes, um, which is my biggest gripe against Seven, is that each Star Wars movie should feel like a movie unto itself, where yes. episode seven just felt like a lot of setup. That was my biggest complaint. But as it, as it stands on its own, it's fine. But it could have been better because they could have told a more concise and solid story. I just realized she's she constantly refers to the main saga as the Skywalker saga. I just realized either Luke's gonna live for ten, eleven, or twelve, or some baby is emerging out of nowhere. <laughs> There's a baby or, somewhere. <laughs> or Ray shows up as a Skywalker. We'll we'll find out in episode eight. As far as I'm aware, the who her parents are is answered but at the same time it's really not we get hints about who her where her lineage is but we don't get a definitive answer so i mean personally i think it's either going to be luke or it's going to be just no one in particular it's going to be no one of consequence because that's the only way i think it can go yeah i'm hoping that i'm hoping it's not although something cheating along the lines of ben kenobi it carries 10 11 12 Mm. although I did just finish the second Afterbath book. Mm -hmm. There's a very short but specific spot in the book where Leia is peering into the Force and she sees children, not just Ben. So maybe Rey is another child of hers and Han's. It doesn't mesh really well. Is that the same book where they reference that Luke took down a Star Destroyer with the Force? No. Oh, okay. All right. That's a different book. Then. I think that's the first aftermath book. I I heard really bad things about it, so I just skipped it. Oh, okay. Which I think in in hindsight was a good and bad idea because the the book heavily focuses around this group of rebels who are no longer part of the rebel army because they decide helping Leia is more important than doing their jobs within the military. Of course. Or the new military. They're not a likable bunch. <laughs> I, I did not care for them. 
I had no connection to them. So I, I think that was part of the first book is getting the connection. And then the second book just kind of carries on. And I'm just like, these people are a bunch of dicks. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I, I can't really formulate a, a big opinion on this. I'm excited because, again, if it's mm-hmm. if it is the Old Republic, if it is like the formation of the Sith as we know them, like the origin of how the Sith became two mm-hmm. instead of a massive amount of Sith, I think that could still be very interesting. No, I think it'd be very fascinating, especially if they might be tap deeper into the lore of why the Seth, Sith and Jedi didn't work. And then, of course, there's stuff that hasn't really been fully mined other elsewhere, like the Force Witches and stuff like that, which I really find fascinating. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that he pitched an amazing trilogy that just blews people's socks off and that we get it. And it's his vision because I would like something away from 1 through 12. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, Agreedo. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our news segment and our topic for this week, which actually came together within 24 hours of the recording this podcast. Alex suggested that we do movies you can only view once. And this is a wide open topic. It's not movies you can only view once because they're hard to watch, but they're so good. It's not movies that are so bad that you have to watch them, but never again. It's whatever we feel it's a movie worth watching but it also only resonated with you so much that you can't watch it again for whatever reason and we'll give our reasons i suppose yeah when uh, the, the way i like to rank movies um i mean there are good movies or masterpieces and stuff like that but i tend to consider movies um on the rewatchability like like when i'm ranking stuff on imdb is like they're a 10 point scale one through three is like crap i'm never gonna watch this ever again in my life Four through six is, if it's on TV and I'm really bored, I might rewatch it. Which, you know, which is how I. There's a lot of lot of sci-fi movies that I do that for you, you know, because you know they're just really crappy sci-fi movies. Air in there, I'm like, oh, why not? Mega Shark versus Octopus versus Piranaconda. I'll give it a watch. I'm bored right now. And then like seven through ten are like my masterpieces, things I can rewatch and actively be engaged in. So there are a lot of masterpieces out there that I'm just there you go, ten out of ten greatest movies of all time according to me. I'm just never gonna watch again. I, I just can't. <laughs> of course there's some bad movies there too. <laughs> you wanna go first um, or I I mean I can. My my rewatchability stuff is largely based on how kitschy it can be. Right. Like uh one of the reasons I really didn't want to watch episode seven again was because the Rathtar scene is a complete waste of time. Oh, completely. It, it, it serves no purpose to the greater story of episode seven. And uh, it, it does nothing. But there's also the scene where I don't hold this against Kylo Ren. I think his hissy fits. Mm-hmm. It's a bad term for me to use, but I think his hissy fits are fine. I don't yeah. care. But the scene of the storm or the moment of the stormtroopers walking around the corner and they just see the sparks yeah. of his lightsaber flaring out and you hear him yelling and they just like stop and turn around like we'll come back later i don't like moments like that because those are purely for the audience i love and they they don't last uh same thing with a lot of harry potter books or harry potter movies Mm -hmm. is they have all these moments for the audience and they don't hold up Mm. because you take that beat and it just it 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 just it doesn't work for me i don't like it and the lord of the rings movies got really bad with that too um, you could kind of tell as they got to um, Return of the King, fans were picking up on a lot of different things, and they just threw in a bunch of moments for fans, and it was just no. 
I, I can start. Yep. Uh, my first movie that I have on the list is it's the first one that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, this is that's how my list is going to go. Is that's what fine. came to my mind first? Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. It's a fine movie. Uh, it's kind of ironic that this is my only watch once movie because it's a movie built for multiple viewings, mm-hmm. especially in the extended cut, right. which I have never seen. I have only seen this movie literally once in theaters. It was on HBO and I had it on as background noise during the final fight against Doomsday, but I barely watched it. It it just it's a clusterfuck. <laughs> I can't put it any other way. There's so much going on and Zack Snyder just he wanted to make a Batman movie, but DC and Warner Brothers said that you have to make a Superman sequel. So he compromised by making a mostly Batman movie with a little bit of Superman yeah. and calling it Dawn of Justice because they threw in Wonder Woman to pepper in the Justice League is coming. Mm-hmm. Even It's the second movie in this <laughs> extended universe. And it just it blows my mind that, one, they, they don't get any characterizations right. Zack Snyder wanted to make uh, a movie based around the the Dark Knight Returns. I hate that book. I hate that movie. I hate that book. If you want to use it as an allegory against Reaganism, it's fine. But if you want to use it as a comic book movie and as like a reference, like how Batman is the most badass badass that ever badass, <laughs> like fuck off. I, I don't care for that comic, and I don't care for a Batman that uses con- uh, guns. I don't care for Batman that uses comics. <laughs> um, I don't care for a Batman that uses guns. I don't care for a Batman that has become so jaded that he just kills anyone or he uh, leaves them to be murdered. Like, he brands them, and then they get killed in jail, and he doesn't care. That's not my Batman. That's mm-hmm. not who Batman is. Zack Snyder clearly just was like, I like Batman. I like The Dark Knight Returns, and... I'm going to have him murder 17 people in a car chase. (laughs) And I think I'm being generous with 17 people. We're going to load him up with guns. He's going to have a a sniper rifle, which is going to be used to place a tracker on that. He's going to knock off the fucking truck that he's chasing, but he's still going to be able to find the truck. No problem. And there's so many, and there's the side plot of Lois Lane trying to track down this bullet that was found in someone or in a gun in the, the, African village that Superman allegedly killed all these people. Why is Superman using a gun? <laughs> Did no one notice that there are bullet wounds and not like their neck snapped? There's a difference. So you're not watching this again because it's bad. <laughs> I'm not watching it again because it makes no damn sense. And the first time we see Superman in the movie, he murders someone. He bashes a guy through like four brick walls because he threatened Lois. See, this is, this is rare because most of the time at work, like when people bring up the movie, they talk about how awesome Batman was. It's like that fight scene where he like... The warehouse scene is probably the best Batman scene we've ever gotten, except for the fact that he murders five people. (laughs) And then he blows up a gas tank on someone's back and kills that person too. Which is who I find so funny because these are the same people who look at me and I'll go like, Michael Keaton wasn't very good Batman. Why? Because he like murders a bunch of people. He throws a guy down a bell tower. He... Yeah, he, he gives a guy a bomb and kicks him off the roof. <laughs> he he throws a bomb down a guy's pants and kicks him in the sewers in the sequel. Like, yeah, that's the people who want their cake and yeah. and want to eat it. Who have their cake and want to eat it too. Yeah, yeah, it, it just. Uh. And then the fact that they're coming up with Justice League, where Batman's changed his ways because Superman inspired him with his sacrifice. We have never connected with the Superman. He's been mopey for thirty three years of his life. But, and then he he puts on the S and he 
prevents the destruction of the world, but not the destruction of Metropolis. And Batman's like, we need to kill him. <laughs> he, even if there's a 1% chance that he can turn on us, we have to kill him. Okay. Wow, what an inspiration. He let himself die instead of letting Wonder Woman carry the spear. Like, that was an easy out. They could have done so many different things. And I think how it should have ended nails the the way that movie could have ended, where they could have introduced Aquaman that way. Yeah. Oh my god, the fucking Easter not even Easter eggs, the cameos of the other heroes. Lex Luthor has data files on the Flash and Cyborg and Aquaman. And he made their logos for them. Of course. Like what? And the Flash has like a top bun, top knot thing going on. And uh, thankfully, he got that cut because he was also a bowl cut kid in Fantastic Beasts. Aquaman has this really weird moment underwater where he's like a squid, you know, poking away at someone like, don't film me. Get away from me. (laughs) And then you have the origin story for for Cyborg, which, okay, that's supposed to be what was in Justice League. But Justice League has been gutted. So I'm sure we're getting none of that backstory. Probably not. But yeah, I, I'm not watching it again because it's two hours and 40 minutes long. I think it's even longer in the extended cut. Yeah, I think it's like 310. Yeah, and it just... And the, there's not even... From what I've seen in like the CinemaSins video, yeah. there's not even like substance to it. They have like an extra 12 seconds of a guy walking upstairs. Oh yeah, I forgot they did an extended uh, version of that where they send that too. Yeah, and That's- it just... Uh, that movie, it frustrates me so much because it's the first time we get Batman and Superman on screen together. Superman isn't joyful. Batman isn't really Batman. He's a murdering psychopath who decides that killing is wrong because my, our mom shared the same name. And I don't care if you nitpick mm-hmm. and you, like, I get it. Like, it, it shocks Bruce to his core because he's become so numb to the world that all of a sudden someone... So it, it, I can't. I can't even. <laughs> I can't even because why the hell would Superman say you're letting him kill Martha? Say you're letting him kill my mother. Like no one would just say you're letting him. I wouldn't say to you you're letting him kill Marie. Who the fuck's Marie? Yeah. See that 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 part bothers me. Just I understand a lot of people harp on that, but it's just unnatural. He doesn't walk around calling his mom Martha. It's just the whole Martha, you know, Martha Wayne, Martha Kent. Yeah. 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 Uh, you, know, just, you, know, you could have said, like, save my mom or, like, you know, protect my mother or something. It's my main, like, that makes me just quirk and go, what? And it, it, it falls into the same reason. Um, that moment falls into a similar reason why I really hate Thor the Dark World is because they say Frigga's name, like, 30 times before she's killed. They want you to know her name. Yeah. And they pull that same trick because they... they show Jeffrey Dean Morgan when they redo Batman's parents' <laughs> death scene again. And he whispers, he's Martha. Yeah. And then you see Martha's name on the, the tombstone yeah. when he has the, the first nightmare. They say the name a couple more times and then Batman, they, they go back and forth and they have him say Martha again in the, the flashback again. <laughs> like, I get it. <laughs> Maybe some of the other people in the audience don't, but... I get it. You don't need to bank. You don't need to hit me over the head with her name. I've been rambling on about this movie for too long. What's your name? What's your movie? In a slight pivot, because <laughs> actually, you have a Batman listed on mine, but I'll, I'll say I'll go back to that one. I'm going to pivot slightly and bring up what is considered a masterpiece. 
Requiem for a Dream. I can only see that I've saw that movie once. I am well aware of the music of the movie, considering that that was it called Oxfortana or something like that is used in every trailer ever for the last twenty years. But I can't see it more than once. It's just I I, I watch it. And I know it's I know it's important. I know it's like interesting. You have um, Jennifer Connelly in it. You have Jared Leto in it. You have a bunch of other people who I recognize whose names are escaping me. And I know it was like Darren Ariofsky. He wrote and directed it, and and I think that's one of the reasons why it's a, an only watch once movie is because Aronofsky, <laughs> his movies are tough to watch, right? But and I I understand that there's so uh, it gets brought up because of the way they cut the movie, the the sequences get faster the further they get into their drug use, and the, of course there's the ending where everybody's lives just completely falling apart and exploding, and I really actually enjoyed the movie. I sat there and I watched it fell in love with it just a little bit like wow this is filmed so well this is so passionate you have these people's lives conflicting you have the you know the degradation that they all go through how you know drugs and obsession has completely compelled these people to go into these different directions you know utterly bringing them to ruin everyone ends up unhappy you end up unhappy after finishing the movie and then i'm sit there at the end of it and, and part of me went you know, I kind of want to watch that again to maybe I miss something. And then for the last seven years, I'm just like, no, nope, I'm good. No, I'm good. I don't need to hurt myself that much. And every time I hear that music, um, the music, the, the score, it's in so many trailers. It's a very beautiful piece of music. And then part of me immediately goes like, oh, that's right. Those people's lives are ruined now. That person became that person gave themselves up to drugs and prostitution. Jared Leto lost his arm. That one, that woman just was lobotomized via electroshock. This other person, I think, is dead. <laughs> but you know what? That's going to be a great children's movie. I'm glad you guys use that music. <laughs> I've honestly never seen Requiem. Oh, you know, um, I, I I own it. I've been meaning to watch it for years, but I I just I I can't find the time and i can't get myself in the right frame of mind to watch it because i've heard so many things about this movie like Mm -hmm. so many great things and i just i can't get myself in the right frame of mind because most of these movies that we're talking about you have to be in a the right frame of mind to sit down and watch these movies i don't know if it's just because i've become more add because of like smartphones and stuff um, but i can't give a movie like that my full attention like I'll, i'll have to like throw my phone upstairs on the charger and just sit in front of it i i'm gonna have a week to myself so maybe i'll take the time to find it in my boxes and finally watch it uh but i, I tried to cheat on this list <laughs> and this requiem for a dream was on like every list of, really yeah every oh. didn't matter if it was like classics or awful movies or you know amazing movies or uh genre movies it, it was every single one whether it was awful amazing just mm. movies in general it was on every list where you only watch this one. You can pretty much only watch this movie once. There's a little part of me that just doesn't want to feel dead inside. <laughs> Speaking of feeling dead inside, my other movie, which is a terrible play out of words for my next movie. Uh, it's a gorgeous movie. It's an amazing movie. I told my mother-in-law to watch this movie and she loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the diving bell and the butterfly. Oh God. <laughs> Uh, it's a movie based around, uh, I'm looking it up right now just because I am forgetting his name, um, but it's based, a, it's based around a true story uh, based on a book that was written by a man who had a stroke while going on a, like a, a mor- morning drive with his son, and he developed locked-in syndrome. 
uh, locked in syndrome just to clarify it's a it's a french movie so it's all in french there's subtitles if you want to watch it jean dominique bobby uh he was a an editor for uh, a fashion magazine in france and paris and he very well-to-do man uh he was divorced from his family the only control he had after suffering the stroke was like over his his eyelid like one eye he he lost from the stroke so he couldn't really control anything so they had to literally go through the alphabet with him and he would have to blink and he would they would write out what he had to say letter by letter as he blinked Mm -hmm. and it's it's an amazing movie because they also like he still gets to narrate the movie because he's talking about his experiences but seeing the interactions between his his family and his nurses and everything, and then one day he decides he's going to write a book. I haven't read the book, but I've heard that the movie is fairly faithful to the adaptation. But it's it's an incredible story, and it's a beautiful movie in the symbolism of the diving bell. And uh, there's cuts of him like in one of those old timey diver suits with mm-hmm. the the giant iron helmet and the the big bulky spacesuit sort of thing. Uh, kind of symbolizing his locked-in syndrome. And it actually kind of helps him become a better father because obviously he has all the time in the world to to see his kids. But uh, it's it's heartbreaking and it's beautiful. It's it's a tough watch though because again you're you're the first I think 10 to 15 minutes of the movie are entirely from his perspective. Mm-hmm. You all you see is like him blinking, the blurry vision, and he's like you hear him saying stuff, but you realize that it's a voiceover it's not mm-hmm. actually him speaking so he's like what's going on what are you doing what happened where am i what's going on and then he realizes like my mouth's not moving and it's just it's incredible and i if you are in the mood to watch this movie i recommend it but again it's you have to be in the right frame of mind right. you have to be able to to stomach this sort of thing uh it's not graphic in any way mm-hmm. but it, it's it's tough because again you're they they literally throw you in his perspective for the first portion of the movie and it's it, it you realize like oh my god yeah see, I, I can't watch that um i have um i have these little uh one of my deepest fears is the you know gradual loss of control of my body which is why i really have never uh, experimented with it with many substances because i had one bad experience where i couldn't for some reason couldn't control my hands like i could like i was like it was just one of those weird bad trips where like it's like you know you're in your head and you're like i know this is not going well this is crap what the hell's going on and then you're like i can't smile my arm is not doing what i expected to do i want to pick up that glass and it's reaching to the far left and knocking over a tumbler you know it's and that tripped me out and pretty much kept me from doing anything after that and then of course i think about like what would happen you know like i when you wake up you know sleep paralysis or something like that i've had that like once or twice which has just tripped me out completely and just horrified me or when you wake up like you've slept too long on one shoulder so your entire arm is completely dead and it takes a little too long to wake up you know <laughs> so when you mentioned that movie because i've heard about the movie and i've heard about the the book and i just no i i can't i cannot just bring I, my, I don't blame you for it I, it's I, it, like I said, it's a that, tough it's, watch. It's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, the the first few moments of the movie really deliver that that sort of feeling of like, oh my god, what what's happening with this man? So yeah, that's that's my second movie. You can go on with yours. I'm gonna go with The Wizard of Oz. 
Now, my experience with Wizard of Oz, I actually never watched it beginning to end. I've seen clips of it. Of course, every TV show has done a Wizard of the Oz thing, a Wizard of Oz thing. There's the homages, 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 homages. homages. No, they're homages. Yeah. <laughs> homages, yeah. Yeah, the, the, I was just <laughs> messing with you. We're not British. We're not going to say homage. <laughs> just like we're not going to say herb. It's herb. Uh, <laughs> I love herb fully loaded. <laughs> And I, I know the story. I've seen the play. I've seen uh, w- w- uh, the uh, the Wiz. Uh, I can't stand the Wiz. <laughs> I, I watched it when it was on air a few years. You know when they did the NBC Live thing a few years ago with it. I've seen. Was it Dorothy Returns to Oz? I, Why would you put yourself through that? <laughs> it was bored one day. Um, I understand how important the song is, and of course, my famous connection with. With that song has to be the um, the version that played on ER when Mark Green was dying. It's that was it the uh, the Hawaiian guy who sings mm, it. Yeah, yeah, that version, which is just just heart wrenchingly painful. Israel something. It's a very complicated last name, but I know his first name is Israel. Yeah, and so I, I understand that the Wizard of Oz is a very important movie. I've went and saw when we were at the Smithsonian. We went and saw the Ruby Slippers, but I actually sat down and I watched it. Um, Probably three, four years ago, when the Blu-ray got released, um, had a friend who lent it, uh, who lent it to me, and I looked it up. The remaster is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. So I sat there, popped it in my PlayStation, watched it beginning to end, all like ninety-three minutes of it, or however long it is. Took it out, put it back in its case, and went, "Yep, never need to see that again." <laughs> it just—I don't know if maybe I oversaturated myself. Maybe it's too culturally aware. Maybe there's you know. A, it's been just so worshipped or it's such a, a the consciousness of the of pop culture is such that you know what the story is beginning to end there's no surprise or something like that there's no I, place like home you know, exactly i thought it was pretty i mean i thought it was you know she was great in it, it the songs were well done i love the costume work that you know it did of course, now because we have that beautiful Blu-ray restoration, you can see the matte lines of the. Well, no, you can see where they glue the, the the sets together for the backdrops and stuff like that, which completely made me laugh because I'm like, wow, look at that! There's you, wow, there's the beautiful yellow brick road, and there's this, and like, I can actually see the paint strips where they painted the set together of the flats. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and then of course they're skipping down the yellow brick road. I'm like, they have to stop because they're gonna hit that wall. <laughs> But it wasn't really that. It's just that I was like, nice. Mm, yeah, it's cute. Okay, we're good. We're good. I can understand where you're coming from, especially someone who, I mean, you have younger siblings and stuff. But yeah. I don't know. The The Wizard of Oz was, I think that was one of the first movies my dad ever saw. My dad's significantly older than most people our age's parents. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that it has a special place in his heart, so he always loved sharing it with us. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's a big holiday movie every yep. now and every couple of years. Like, they just make a big deal by, oh, The Wizard of Oz on ABC and on ABC Family and Disney and TBS. And uh, I, I can understand that it's a one-time view, especially because, like you said, it, it's very oversaturated. Every, every TV show does a Wizard of Oz homage. Mm-hmm. It, it's fine. I'm, I can't argue against it. Um, I mean, the the main thing people really watch it for are the songs. Yeah. Which, in today's day and age, you don't have to watch the movie to get those songs. Of course not. I'm excited because I'm, I'm actually going to see Wicked for the first time uh, for my wife's birthday where I'm taking her. 
hate on me all you want. This might if we do the C two E two panel, which yeah. would be guilty pleasure movies. If we yeah. somehow get that C two E two panel, that'd be fantastic. Um, my guilty pleasure movie, I think I'm leaning towards Steve Martin's Pink Panther. Oh, I love that movie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth has a small cameo in there mm-hmm. as uh, the like the not the manager, but like the the receptionist of the soccer team where the the player is murdered or the coach is murdered, yeah, yeah. and she is. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. She is like prime Glenda mm-hmm. in in that movie. Like she's just strikingly beautiful. Yep. And all of a sudden, she's gone like plastic surgery crazy. Her forehead has become enormous. She's gotten sickly skinny. She doesn't look like a person anymore. See, I first fell in love with her because I watched a little show that was murdered before its time called Pushing Daisies, mm. and she was amazing in that. And then I found out she was Glenda the Good, you know, Glenda the Witch. And then I was just like, oh. And then when it's over, she pops up now and then. I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. And I actually really debated seeing her. Like, was it? She was in, uh, she was at the Coronado a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. actually really wanted to, but the, the tickets were gone immediately and I was kind of pissed. I was like, but it just went on sale. Um, so I've always, I do really want to see Wicked because Liz really wants to see Wicked. But if there's no Kristen Chenoweth, with him, not seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure how I'm gonna feel about the the sound the the songs being sung by people who are not Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel, but yeah. um, hopefully I get immersed enough into the show that it'll just kind of wash away. So moving on, this movie is one that I do not get. People love it; it won awards. I don't get it. It is no country for old men. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I watched it. It was a really good movie up until the point where Llewellyn is killed off screen. <laughs> Everything from that point on makes no sense to me. Javier Bardem kills his wife. Mm-hmm. Not his character's wife. He kills Llewellyn's wife just because he's a vindictive asshole. And then he gets hit by a car. And then he walks away with a broken arm. And the cops never find him. And Tommy Lee Jones has a big soliloquy at the end of the movie about having a dream that I guess is supposed to tie everything up in the movie, but it makes no fucking sense. I don't get it. I read the book just to try and make sense of it. And the book makes no fucking sense. (laughs) See, the reason why I'm laughing is because I have watched that movie four times trying to understand what the hell people like about it. And I don't get it either. Because it won best fucking picture. I know. And the thing is, I've read, I've read the dissertations about what it actually means. Like, and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, all right. What what is actually good about the movie? What is actually good about the movie? There's some detective work. Okay, cool. Harvey Birdman is amazing. He he's, he's super menacing. Oh, and he he's going to be something. Another he's going to be another character that I'm going to love in another movie that I'm going to talk about. Yeah. And he's he's creepy. He's crazy. The cattle prod is a, is a great idea for a oh, killing weapon. The flipping the thing, you know. And I've read like, things about like, well, he actually isn't a person. He's actually death. I'm pretty sure he's a person, but okay. Yeah, he broke his arm. <laughs> kid saw him. Yeah, yeah. Like he paid the kid for his shirt, I think. Something like that. And they're like, well, and then it's like, well, he's actually a, a metaphor for death. Okay, cool. I, I get that. And then there was this, and then someone went, the reason why it doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense is, is actually what it is. Is if you pay very close attention to like some prescription pill bottles like on a counter when Tommy Lee Jones is like in the bathroom or something like that, there's a brief like s- shot where you can see 
that he's actually on like dementia meds. So he's telling a story. So he's actually telling a story that he's getting confused with his dream. And it's actually an allegory for Alzheimer's. But what's the point of the movie? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and so I've tried watching it. I'm like, okay, he's an agent of death. Okay, well, I got that the first time. And then like the whole Alzheimer's thing. And I'm like, okay. And then I, I don't get it. I, 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 I've, I've watched it four times. I'm not, I'm not going to watch it anymore. It's an amazingly well-acted movie. Um, mm-hmm. The Coen brothers are a common theme with me where I don't get a lot of their stuff. I love No Country, or not No, I don't like No, no Country for Old Men. I love Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, that's a great movie. I love that movie. I enjoy The Big Lebowski. Um, I'm sure I've seen other movies of theirs. Um, I still haven't seen the uh, the one with the new Han Solo in it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hail Caesar. Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. I've heard good things about that, but I hear good things about every goddamn Coen Brothers movie and every other one I see. I'm like, I don't get it. Well, the Fargo TV show is fantastic, by the way. They have nothing to do with it, but it's fantastic. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm on board with you, like, not getting it. I mean, I, I tried. I tried, like, reading, like, an article about, like, explain. I, there's one that I read that was, like, 10 pages long, internet pages. You know, we're flipping through and, you know, talking about this and reference points and this and this. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I went back and rewatched it and I went, you lost me. I'm going home now. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't get it. That's all I have to say about that one. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I'm going to go with a movie that I saw in theaters. And I have tried rewatching. I'm pretty sure you've mentioned this one before uh, in our most disappointing movies. Uh, maybe, but I, I saw it in theaters and I've tried rewatching it three or four times and it's been on, I don't know, like. But I'm going to go with The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, you mentioned this one in our, yeah. our most disappointing movies or least favorite movies. But the reason why I can only watch it once is... It's another movie that's like two hours and 40 minutes long. <laughs> is now that I've gotten past kind of like the disappointment of it, of the, of course it was very disappointing and you know I felt misled and blah, 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 blah. I'm now to the level where I think about what could have been had... Had, had Christopher uh, Nolan given a shit? Yeah, had Heath Ledger not died and the Olsen twins covered it up, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, read some of the stuff about that. It's creepy. <laughs> anyway, allegedly so we don't get sued. <laughs> I, mean, I start going back about how was, what he could have done, what he could have changed differently. And I just watched the movie, and I've tried to watch it a few times. Like I want to give it a fresh chance. I want to like give this another go. Because, like, I'm one of the few people who will not passionately defend, but defend Spider-Man 3. That there are good portions of it. That there's things that you know the studio did to just wreck that movie. But from what I understand, he, uh, Christopher Nolan had free reign on this movie. He, I guess he had overcome Heath Ledger's death and how he was going to incorporate that. He had to alter his plans, yeah. Um, I don't know if like the studio went, well, he died, so here's, you still got to hit your deadline, and so maybe there's a rush job. But I start rewatching. I think there was like a three or four year gap between Dark Knight to The Dark Knight Rises. I'm pretty sure it's a pretty significant gap Mm. Uh, from Batman Begins to The Dark Knight. I think it was like a three year gap, and then they had an even longer one from uh, The Dark Knight to The Dark Knight Rises. Because I'm pretty sure The Dark Knight Batman Begins came out in 05. The Dark Knight I think came out in 08. And then I think Dark Knight Rises came out in, in 11, maybe 12. No, it came out in 12 because it came out the same year that Man of Steel came out. 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, Batman Begins, 2005, Dark Knight, 2008. He, he yeah, so four, a four-year gap. Ledger was already dead by for was already dead before that even came out, and then yeah, four-year gap. I've tried rewatching it a few times, and I I enjoy the beginning of the film, the whole airplane sequence. The airplane sequence is amazing. But then a little bit further into the movie, hearing Bane talk starts irritating me too much. Like too many of those people with the videos of like the make, mocking the voice and. Uh, one of our coworkers, he does an amazing Bane voice, and the part about it, and he's driven me nuts because now I can only hear him making the Bane voice when Bane speaks. And then the crap with Catwoman being in a completely different film universe than they're in, with the flipping hands, breaking wrists thing, and running off together. And every time I've tried to just even complete it, I just get to a certain point where I just give up. I'm just like, it's not good. And I don't need to see this any further. I'm only going to have seen it once in its entirety, and I'm good with that. I've seen part of the beginning, I've seen part of the middle, I've seen part of the end again, and I'm just when I scroll through, even if it's like ten minutes left before the next movie, whatever movie starts or TV show I'm going to watch, I just like ten minutes of that '70s show. That'll that'll get my time. Yeah, I I think I've only actually I've seen bits and pieces of it, but there's so much in that movie that I. I don't like the opening sequence with Bane in the plane is super cool, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is absolutely pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, he just serves a point of solidifying the idea that Batman is a mantle. It's not a responsibility of Bruce Wayne's. I think how it should have ended again, I, I plug them religiously because they're amazing. They, they make great points with it, with their videos on this one. Just to kind of end on a laugh, my favorite part of the the How It Should Have Ended video for The Dark Knight Rises is um, they show the scene at the very end where Alfred sees Bruce and Selina, and then all of a sudden Clark Kent shows up out of the side. He's like, hey, Alfred. <laughs> Sorry, Bruce made you cry. <laughs> okay, that's funny. I, I love it. It's It's great. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I've literally, I think I've literally only seen maybe another thirty minutes of that movie since it came out five years ago. Oh jeez! And I think most of that is either the fight scene, the very poorly executed fight scene in the sewers below Bruce's armory or whatever in in Wayne mm-hmm. Tower, because the moment where Bane lifts Bruce o- or Batman over his head is so bad. Yeah, it's pretty. It he's clearly on wires like. Yeah. Hardy's not flexing. Like you don't see his muscles rippling. He's picking up a 220 pound, 40 year old man who's struggling and his arms are just like, you know, like it looks like a a student film in that moment. It just, it looks bad. And there's, there's a lot that clearly Christopher Nolan was just like, they want me to make three. Here's the third one. Fuck off. (laughs) I got an, I I made inception. I got to go make uh, interstellar now, (laughs) which interstellar is another one that I want to watch, but I haven't. It's on Amazon, I think, so I might watch that again while I'm while I have my alone time. <laughs> so my next movie is Marley and Me. I, I enjoy this movie. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed it because I'm, I'm an animal lover. I, I love puppies and I love doggos and puppers and kitties. This movie is just it's heartbreaking. I don't know if you've seen it or read the book. <laughs> you have this fun family romp with the this bad puppy who becomes a bad dog, but he has a heart of gold. Because he's a dog. He doesn't know any better. He just knows that he loves his family and he needs to run. And he, oh, no. and as he gets older, he becomes a little weaker. And 
that scene with Owen will like Owen Wilson will never have a better scene than that scene with that dog where he just he's welling up and he's just like you were a good dog oh my god <laughs> I started crying in the theater like one of the one of the other topics that I have is movies that make you cry Marley and me will be on my list for yeah. that one as well I was bawling like a baby I was just like, no, don't do it, don't. <laughs> I just, it, I couldn't stop it. My buddy Alex had told me that he started crying. He's like, I'm not gonna cry. It's fine. And like they're in the room, and he's just pouring his heart out to this yeah. dog. And I, everyone knows that feeling too. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so heartbreaking, is because you've been there, and you know that if you're gonna have another dog, you're gonna be there again, mm-hmm. or another pet, I should say, not just dog. And so uh, I can only watch that movie once because the only other time I'm planning on crying like that is my daughter's wedding. <laughs> and uh, because it's our agreement, my wife's funeral. Uh, she, <laughs> apparently she goes before me. And then like my, my mom and my dad's funeral probably. Like Those are the only four other times I'm allowed to cry that badly. Yeah, no, um, I refuse to see that movie because I read the book and the dog dies. And so I was like, no, not happening. I, I don't care. The book got me too. I'm like, no, that's not happening because there's a great meme out there. It's like commit mass gen, you know, commit mass genocide or war atrocities. But if the dog dies in the movie, I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, yep, that's me. This means like, wow, that really sucks. The entire nuclear war happened and everyone's dying in front of me. The dog too? What the hell? <laughs> Like, uh, what is it? Um, John Wick? No, Independence Day. Oh, yeah, where the dog where just the dog, escapes dog is the, t- the explosion. Yeah, I'm like, that dog better save the bar. Yeah, the <laughs> Everyone back there, all those cars are full of people. They're all, the, the, the dog has got to make it. Well, they, they have the same trope in uh, the new Godzilla where Godzilla causes that like mini tsunami mm-hmm. and the streets are flooding, but the dog outruns the wave. <laughs> but they, they pull tricks like that all the time. Like mm-hmm. in Ant-Man, they, they name... Scott Lang's aunt. He names him Anthony. Mm-hmm. That is an entirely just a, a rope you in game mm-hmm. because the minute you name something, you're attached. Yep. And even in a movie. And so when Anthony takes a bullet, yep. you're like, Anthony, no. I had watched, I love John Wick and I like the sequel. And I, and to prepare to go see it, Liz hadn't seen him, uh, hadn't seen the first one yet. So. We're watching it, and we're, and she's like, okay, yeah, it's something about she, um, she wasn't really paying attention to the trailers or anything, and and she doesn't look at the same meme sites I do, so she doesn't she doesn't wear. And we're watching, 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 and everything's going well. And then she's like, wait, that's a puppy. I'm like, uh huh, watching, watching. And she's like, and then you know the whole interaction happens with the thing, and he's bonding with it. And she's like, the dog is the dog gonna die? I'm like, yeah. She's like, <laughs> do they show it? Yeah. Is the dog on screen? Is he crying? I'm like, yeah. And she's like. And she pulled and picked up a book and started reading. She's like, let me know when you're past that part. <laughs> so I like, just want me to fast forward. She went, yes. Fast forward, is it, fast forward to the dog's berry. <laughs> and so I was like, I fast forward the movie to the dog's, you know, she's hiding, shielding her eyes, the dog's buried. And he's like, so the dog's dead? Yeah. He's going to kill them all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and she was on board the rest of that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, I, I can only watch that movie once. I can only read that book once because, again, I can I can't cry that bad ever again. No, that <laughs> at least not for a, a fairly decent amount of time. No, and that and there's no revenge plot in that movie to get no. to keep better. That movie's built to just destroy your soul. I mean, it's and, built to pull your heartstrings and yeah, mm-hmm. just it, it makes you want to go out and get a dog and then mm-hmm. never want to take it to the vet. Nope. <laughs> All right, so your your next movie. <sighs> my my grandmother's gonna hate me. So, quite my so quite a few years ago, 
my grandmother was, you know, educated me about her part of the family, her religion, uh, what she was worshiping and all that stuff. And so I had this weekend where I was probably about 11 or 12, where I watched, where she had me watch Fiddler on the Roof, immediately followed by Schindler's List. Oh my God. You can understand how <laughs> how a mind might be corrupted and changed irrevocably from seeing both of those movies. By the way, we also then watched Jacob the Liar, but that was I was not, just about to mention Jacob the Liar. I love that movie. That was not as good as the other two. No. <laughs> it's still it's still a really it's a good fun. movie. I love that movie. It's great. Robin Williams at, at his finest. Oh, definitely. Since then, I have seen a few different versions of Fiddler on the Roof. I love the musical. Um, I haven't seen it live, but I've heard the music of it. Um, there's a great Easter egg on the Spider-Man 2 DVD of... Um, Alfred Molina, who's was doing, who was preparing for Fiddler on the Roof, Fiddler on the Roof, while doing Spider Man, while doing Spider Man Two, he actually starts singing the "If I Was a Rich Man" song, and the puppeteers start making all the arms move while he's singing it. It's fantastic. It's a great little Easter egg. If you can find it on the DVD, I don't know if they put it on the Blu-ray, but I saw Schindler's List at the same time, and I think it, I don't think it hit quite hard enough with me. Well, I mean, it hit me hard, but. I eventually tried to watch that movie again, and I think I got like six minutes in, and I realized I never need to see this movie ever again in my life. I understand it's a very important movie. I understand it's a very cultural movie. I understand how amazing it was, how Spielberg invested his heart and soul in this movie. You hear the stuff, you you hear like some of the, um, the stories behind it, like like that Spielberg was so devastated filming this movie every day. He used to call Robin Williams, and Robin Williams would cheer him up use the cinematography how it is this important movie and i occasionally think back of like little things pop into my head like if i was you know working on a book or something i'm like what is in something emotionally devastating you know that i can add here or something like how do i build this scene or something like that and i think of you know the little girl walking a little red coat or and then all of a sudden like oh there's that asshole who just finishes banging some chick and then strolls out on the strolls out into the uh his little patio there picks up a rifle and just shoots somebody. I'm like, huh. Yeah, that would get people against this guy. That would work. That would work. And then, of course, there's the ending where, you know, he's talking about all the people he could have saved and all this stuff. And he's just saying, they're, and, you know, you find out the real life story of it. And I'm like, I can't do it. I, I just can't bring myself to experience that. I mean, I, I, I have it with me. I don't need to do it to myself again. <laughs> I, I had to do a report on three Spielberg movies when I was in my film history and appreciation class. Yeah, I chose Jaws, Schindler's List, and Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Honestly, I had to watch Schindler's List twice just because I like I was just pulled in by Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. the The performance was amazing, and I just I had to get every little intricacy of that movie down. It's an amazing movie. I can definitely understand why it's a one time view because again. Uh, it's heartbreaking, especially if, if it's uh, a part of your your culture and your heritage. Yeah, I can definitely get that. Oh yeah. Um, and, and the people that deny that the the Holocaust never happened are just they're they they're they're not even they're subhuman in my opinion. If yeah, they much. don't believe some, a mass genocide like that happened, um, which is a a completely different kind of podcast that we're not going to get into. <laughs> um, that's just my quick opinion on those sort of people. Yeah, I can I can totally understand Schindler's List being a a one time viewing, especially if it is part of your heritage and your yeah your life like that. 
I mean, I know what's happened, and there was there's just also this other thing. So like, we were in the eighth grade, and it was world history class, and the way my school did things was weird. Is is um, what happened was is that you, I forget what it's called, but you had like one set of classes on one day, and then another set of classes on another, and then you know, so you'd have three one you know three of the same class one week, two next week because you know the flips and rotates, and the classes were like 146 minutes long or something bizarre like that. And what was what was supposed to be world history class was eventually turned out to be World War II class because, um, and a little bit of Vietnam because uh, our teacher was a Vietnam vet and he mm-hmm. thought it was important. And he showed us one day. I don't know how he did not get in trouble or why we our t- parents weren't asked permissions were, but he showed us the videos from the Smithsonian's Holocaust section. Or I don't remember. But it's the videos that the U.S. Um, Army Corps took when they got to Germany, of, and like if they were uncovering the camps and like mm-hmm. digging up stuff, like of course people. And so we watched like for the entire class this footage of at the camps of these bodies, the filming of them, the decomposition, all this stuff. And I remember, it, and it was somewhere around then that my grandmother showed me these movies, <laughs> and I was just remember going, "Yeah, this sucks." I mean, of course it sucks, but it's just like, I understand this movie is important and it brought a lot of focus and refocus and it, and, you know, and it shed light on the good people who did something and how, you know, there is hope and recovery and all the people who were, all the, um, all the people who are alive because of him as well as the generations, but I, I just can't do it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went on a, a field trip to Washington, D.C. when I was in eighth grade and we went to the, the Holocaust Museum and... Uh, they had a, a special section set aside for like Anne Frank, but we actually had to sit down and watch one of those movies. They're brutal, and um, they change you. I mean, and every every time I watch Band of Brothers, yeah. when they they uncover one of the the concentration camps, and they they start feeding these people, and all of a sudden the doctor's like, "No, you can't feed them. They're malnourished. They need to be like put on a special diet so that because yeah. they could eat too much and they could literally die." Yeah. It's just crazy. Uh, one of the a movie that I was actually heavily considering for my list was um, the Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Oh, that movie! That's another movie that I, I think is kind of a one watch movie. Um, for those of you that don't know, very quick synopsis of it: a Nazi general's son finds like on the outskirts of their property that they share a, a corner with a concentration camp, and the boy befriends a Jewish boy in the concentration camp. And he thinks he's just wearing striped pajamas. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get that this boy is a Jew who is being held in this camp to die. It's it's a heartbreaking story because, again, it, it kind of shows that hatred is learned and it's not inherent in yeah. us. Uh, it's racism, hatred, all that sort of stuff. And um, I would say it's a one-time view, except for the fact that I might use that as a, a learning tool for my kids. Oh, yeah. No, it would be. I would think so. And, you know, if I have our kids, I would have them watch a few of those as well, kind of as educational tools as well as just thinking about it, like um, we're planning a trip to Europe in like a year or two. Not no more, not more like Northern Europe, but eventually we do want to go see the Rhine and, and Germany, stuff like that. And my grandma was like, oh, so you're oh, going to go and you're going to go see some of the camps? And I'm like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like. Because I, I, I mean, I understand why they're there and seeing them. And there was a fantastic article. Oh, shit, it was probably like ten years ago. 
it was a beautifully written article called something along the lines of there's no news from Auschwitz. And it was about going back there and um, how they're set up and how you can tour them and um, and how you can tour them and the things they have, like pic- pictures of all the people, like the smiling pictures of the people who they would take your photo when you would go there. And all these smiling faces and then have like underneath them when they had passed away mm. from while in the, you know, obviously killed or driven to whatever. And it's just like, and I was reading about that and I was just like, I, I don't think I could do that. I, I honestly don't think I could go there. I mean, I know it's there. I know the history is there, but just with my grandma's bond with it, I, I just don't think so. <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll move on from there. Yes, please. There's no real good transition from that. No. Um, so my last movie is Skyfall. Another movie that people love, and I think it's two-thirds of a really great James Bond movie. <laughs> and then it becomes Home Alone, and I don't get it. I don't get the love of like this part of the movie. Uh, it's another Javier Bardem. Ama- Javier Bardem is an amazing actor, and he gives an amazing performance in this movie. But there's, I just, I don't know. There's the the whole he's blowing up Parliament, and then it gives the backstory of James Bond, where he grew up at Skyfall Ranch or something like that. I just, I think people love it. I honestly don't even get the fucking Adele song in it. Like all it is is her saying Skyfall. I don't get it. I think it was, I, I don't, I don't know. My my mind gets blown every time people talk about how amazing Skyfall is. I'm like, it's fine. Personally, I prefer Casino Royale better. When I went to go see it, uh, I had found out that Sam Mendes was dire- had directed it. Road to Perdition is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing Sam Mendes movie. It's an amazing Tom Hanks movie. It's it's just an amazing movie in general. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, cool. Sam Mendes did that. That Okay, I'm in. And it literally kind of just became the end of Road to Perdition. <laughs> you know, the last stand in the house yeah. at the beach or whatever. And you just fight the wave of the bad guys. And you have the the meaningful death of the parent figure. And mm-hmm. spoiler alert for both movies, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, I've seen this movie before. I've seen a better version of this movie before. And I, I, I don't know. I don't get the love of the, the Adele song. And I, I don't get the love of Skyfall. Well, that's like your opinion, man. <laughs> because that Adele song is freaking amazing. Disagree. It, 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 it rightfully won an Oscar disagree it was fantastic now if you want to argue that these um that the sam smith song that won for uh specter should not have won i can completely understand that sam smith the man whose every song sounds exactly the same yes i was actually just re-watching skyfall like i think it was earlier this week and there's so many good things in there uh their relationship with money penny is good the introduction of um of Voldemort as the new M, I thought was fantastic. I, I'm not discounting any of that. I just think that one, I don't care for the song, and two, I don't care for for the end, the ending before the epilogue where we get the new M. Oh, okay. Um, that that final fight scene in the house just kills that movie for me. So you don't. It need- doesn't feel like James Bond. It feels like Kevin McAllister grew up <laughs> and started murdering people, like the joke goes. Oh, okay. See, I don't disagree that there's an issue with the, with the with the third act i really like that they had the old you know the the um the original aston martin i like that they went out there um i did like some like the history of like that you find out that bond has some issues with his family which kind of does the callback to uh, i think it was 
one of the Pierce Brosnan ones where they talk about how that all these uh, secret agents are all orphans. So you find out that you find out that that you find out that the caretaker's been selling off stuff. I really don't know if there was a better way of like getting it down to just that interaction for with the three of them so he can kill him. I I, I agree that it's it's probably the most logical solution, but again, it, it just it never you could have easily just had her walk away. I mean, you don't have to kill her off unless like that's in the bylaws of it being M. Is that the only way you get out of this job is being murdered? that's <laughs> well, probably in there somewhere it never bothered me I, I always found it kind of fun i did what bothered me more about those scenes is they started trying to do, be kind of cutesy like when they blew up the car they like had him look really pissed and like played like some of the early version of the james bond music that kind of stuff annoyed me but no nah, i don't know it doesn't bother me i i think um casino Royale is a far superior movie but i think it's a pretty darn good movie and then the less there, said about Spectre and Quantum of Solace, the better. Um, there, I mean, like I said, there's there's good stuff in there. Uh, the sequence where Javier Bardem escapes from his his uh, his prison cell, mm-hmm. and the the moment where the train like falls through the floor, like that's some of the best. I don't know if it's CGI or if it was like a scale. No, model. they actually built that. That yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that was an amazing effect. Yeah. That was an amazing thing. There's some great stuff in there, but again, the the ending and or the final confrontation, I guess you could say, not necessarily the ending, mm-hmm. uh, where they they go to Skyfall and James confronts his past and M gets murdered by Javier Bardem. It just spoiler alert. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I That's mean, right. it's, it's, it's like a, a three-year-old movie. It's, it's like a three or five-year-old movie. So it whatever. I just it doesn't resonate with me the way like Casino Royale did. I'm spending some of this time here looking up. So Adele won Skyfall. She was up against Chasing Ice, performed by Scarlett Johansson, which I think is an amazing song. Did you say Scarlett Johansson? Scarlett Johansson sings the song um, Chasing Ice Before My Time. Um, that's an amazing song. They, then there was the, oh, what's her name? The Sunrise Girl. Um, sunrise, Sunrise. I have no idea. Um, oh, you don't know who that is, really? It's uh, She sang the song from Ted. Uh, the Seth MacFarlane teddy bear song or movie. Then there was Pie's Lullaby. Uh, and then there was the the new song from Les Mis. Personally, I don't think Skyfall holds a candle to uh, Before My Time or even the song from Ted performed by, uh, God damn it, what's her name? Starts with an M? I got nothing. I'm going to have to look that up now. Damn it. This now the real we- question becomes, is it editing? Do I edit this out or do I leave the... Oh, the very uncomfortable... Like, <laughs> Nora Jones. It wasn't an M. It was an N. Nora Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Wow, Ted came out that year, huh? Yeah. Hmm. And, and so, um, I mean, that song was just fun. Like, I don't know yeah. if it was necessarily an Academy Award winning song, but it was fun. And okay, so why did Scarlett Johansson sing a song? It was, uh, it was, about a, docu- it was a, a documentary about the melting of the polar ice caps. And I don't know. The, to me, the song doesn't really fit. But it's a beautiful song, and it's got an amazing violin solo in there. And uh, I, I can link you to the song, but it's and, and she sings. Yeah, she she's got that old timey like raspy singing, kind of like Zoe Deschanel, but not quite as hmm, fluid. Yeah, but she sounds fine. She fits perfectly with the the tone of the song. So okay. personally, again, I all I all I hear when people mention Adele's Skyfall song is her yelling Skyfall when it crumbles. 
Oh, there's actual <laughs> words behind besides there's just a lot Scarlet. of extra words there, man. I, it's, it's a beautiful. I don't remember. I just remember being in the theater and hearing her screeching, Skyfall. Or if she does not screech, she hits beautiful notes. <laughs> I like Adele. I, I really do. But that song, I was just like, they just want to give her the EGOT. Well, and she would deserve it. She is a wonderful woman. Yeah. All right. So your last movie. <laughs> I've, thought, I've thought it back and forth about a lot of stuff. I'm going to go back to rewatchability. That's what I would call this one. I saw Jurassic World once in theaters. Oh, God. And I I love popcorn crappy movies. Like, I love the, the Sharknado movies. I can rewatch them because they're just dumb and I can do other stuff and then laugh and enjoy them. But I saw Jurassic World and I was mostly underwhelmed. I've realized Crit Pat, it, it was the movie that got me off the Chris Pratt uh, train of, oh, he's got to be the new indie. He'd look amazing because I'm like, this is, he's Star Lord. He's still Star Lord. And then, from what I understand, he's Jerky Star Lord in um, Passengers. So it got me off the train of that. I, I don't understand why they needed to shoehorn in two more children who ride around in glass balls and break stuff. I and do fix cars that have been right. unused for about 25 years, mm-hmm. and all they do is replace the car battery. Oh, yeah. Apparently, the air in the tires never got out. No, and the oil is perfectly fine. Um, I mean, that's not like that stuff. To not the transmission fluid and all that stuff. Yeah, no, and the wires did not corrode in the middle of the jungle and the you know, Caribbean. No, no, nothing like that. Spark plug's still fine. <laughs> but I remember just sitting there going, eh, it's not, CGI's a little dodgy. Okay, it's doing well in theaters. And I do absolutely love the stupid, wonderful... Let's go get the old T Rex, who's an old who's an old bird, and let's get her out there to fight the Mega Brontosaurus, the Indominus Car- Rex. There you go, Indominus Rex, sponsored by Verizon. <laughs> oh, I forgot the most important part. <laughs> and you know, I, and that that blue is alive, and the two raptors, and they're all fighting. I'm like, yeah. He even has that hero run around the corner in slow motion. Exactly. Which again, you're just like, which one is that? No, it's blue. You know which one's blue? Blue has the blue stripes. Blue. It's blue. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't even pick up on that. His name is Blue. And I, I love that. And then I felt a little cheated that the big, you know, the big shark soar, uh, shark dinosaur ate it. Oh, I know there's names from. But Was it the Mosasaurus? Something. Monster. Gramosaurus Rex. I think it was the Mosasaurus. Tyrannostega. <laughs> but I was like, okay, it's a forgettable. I walked out going, it's better than two and three and not nearly as good as one but i tr- have re- i've tried rewatching it and i realized i can't i immediately change the channel and go oh wait is it and i flip back and I'm like yay there's blue <laughs> and blue and oh she's getting the t-rex she's opening these she and outruns has- outruns the t-rex in heels yes she has the she has the flare here it comes. There it is. And they go and they watch it and then stuff happens. And for some reason they end up together and it's like, oh, okay, there's about 30, 40 more seconds. Yeah, there's, there she is. She's on the helipad and she's roaring and go to credits. And they can't even do the, oh my God. <laughs> they can't even do the theme right because they didn't get the rights to the music from John Williams. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, again, you would think Universal would have had the foresight to get the rights to the theme. Mm-hmm that's a one-time use or one time one time use yeah it's a one-time use movie for me as well yeah i don't like it though i oh, oh I, I i don't get along with dan merle i don't i've never met dan merle but yeah. i i i am in the same boat with him on this movie it is just a giant pile and there's so many missed opportunities and so much stupid shit in that movie oh i completely agree 
and like I, I don't understand the um, why they decided to viciously like in the middle of the movie viciously kill off the poor assistant who was just trying to do her job. She's got the most graphic, painful death scene for being like lifted by stuff, dropped, slammed through buildings, and then fed to that giant uh, shark dinosaur. I'm like, that's a little random. She did nothing wrong, and but but of course that was that was the point. But no, is no, the bad guy, you know, um, Kingpin. He gets a lovely off-screen death, but she gets just murdered. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, I think, uh, Colin Trevorrow, the guy who yeah. was kicked off Star Wars Episode Nine, mm-hmm. uh, came out and said that was his like homage to chaos theory. Poor assistant. <laughs> she was just trying to do her job. Hey, now she's <laughs> Lena Luthor and the most rich person in the uh, DC television universe. That's not Oliver Queen. Oh really? Yeah, she's a Supergirl, one of Supergirl's best friends. Really? As Lex Luthor's adopted sister. Huh. I should watch that. Yeah, I I honestly didn't pick up on it when she first showed up in the show, and then Jurassic World was on like TNT. Yeah, and it was that scene. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Lena Luthor. So I immediately turned it off and turned on Supergirl from our DVRs. Like, oh yeah, it is. Oh, hmm. might have to support her career because she really got killed for no reason. But yeah, no. So it's not a movie that I would say not necessarily a hate or anything. It's just. It's not worth watching except for that last part. I don't and know I how it became the quote-unquote most profitable, not necessarily the most profitable, but it was like the highest grossing movie of that year, yeah. of, until Star Wars came oh, yeah. out. It was like, what, 1.7? Yeah, and it had it down. beat the, the Avengers opening weekend number. Oh, that's like, just, just nuts. Yeah, which, again, it, it doesn't deserve that title. I mean, we've seen a Jurassic Park movie yeah. before, and that was basically a reboot of Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Even though they acknowledge it, it's a reboot. Oh yeah, no. And I have no idea what's coming with Fallen Kingdom. Personally, I don't really care. I you you have to care. No. Ian Malcolm's back, and we need more gold bloom in our life. Well, I mean, yeah, Come but on. I got enough gold bloom in <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> he was the best. He was like so good in that. Korg. I was gonna say Korg was the best part of that oh, movie. Yeah, he, he was fantastic. <clears throat> I mean, I, that movie has it's so good. <laughs> Unlike Jurassic World. Yeah, I know. Jurassic World. I mean, see, like... Jurassic, I can see Jurassic World being a fun, bad movie, mm-hmm. but personally, outside of the Godzilla ending of mm-hmm. Jurassic Park 2, mm-hmm. like, if you... You can't. You can't exclude it, so I, I can't say that, really. It's... Jurassic World is number three out of four for me for Jurassic oh. Park movies. I still... It's Jurassic Park by a mile. Oh, yeah. And Ten- then The Lost World, and then uh, Jurassic World. Oh, yeah. And then Jurassic Park 3 might as well not exist. Well, before coming over, um, I was installing a, a video game. Uh, Jurassic Park was on TV, and so I was just passively watching that because it was going to, you know, with updates, a new video game is going to take six hours. And it, I was watching, and I'm like, wow, this is still a really good movie. You know, and the CGI holds up, everything's great. But I did hear something that made me just quirk my head and just, and I had to rewind it. So, okay. You remember when the uh, the T Rex is chasing Malcolm Muldoon and Sattler in the car, right? Yeah. And you know, and Goldblum's all like Musco Faster. It's, it's Musco. the famous Musco Faster. Yeah, Musco Faster. Yeah. And she's and Ellie is shouting what sounds like shit, but I'm pretty sure she's saying shift. Now she could be saying shit because it's closing up on her, but I've always for some reason thought she was saying shift because like Malcolm's she, she's like, driving a stick. Well, yeah, no, Muldoon's driving, but like the way they have him sit back, he's like up against the, the he's thing a, but, and he's not being able to shift mm-hmm. well apparently that's too close for tnt because while she should be shouting that she's muted and goldblum says 
fifth gear you got to switch to fifth gear and not his voice it's someone else's voice <laughs> but i was like what and i rewound it i'm like and like you know of course i'm like what is this no she's saying shift like telling him how to drive and all of a sudden out of nowhere i was like must go faster must go faster switch to fifth gear <laughs> fifth gear fifth gear <laughs> So oh, replacement words. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> That's probably my favorite Frank Caliendo joke is he's talking about replacement words. Like, what the fruit is going on here? Uh, uh, so, yeah, Jurassic World is definitely, a, I, I agree, it's definitely a, a one-time viewing, but probably not for the same reason. <laughs> it's worth watching because Blue comes back and saves them. And the old T-Rex arrives. No, it's just stupid. <laughs> and then Blue rides on the T-Rex so they can form a combo move. Well, they've got to band together. And I do love that. It's so terrible. He it's, leaves on his back. He rides. so bad. <laughs> like, it's supposed to be this, like, awesome moment, this epic move. Like, it's fantastic. That's so awful and it's, stupid. It's so good. <laughs> and then they have that moment of, like, silent reflection. Like, we teamed up. We did good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm yeah. going to run away now in really bad CGI. No, wait, no, yeah, no, no, no. What it was, what it was, you got to understand, is that they looked at each other and the T-Rex remembers the last time he faced against a raptor. He had to whoop their ass. And and so they're looking at each other going like, are we doing this? Are we doing this? No, we're, we're good. We're good. And they both go their separate ways. And Blue kind of takes a, a quick look at Star-Lord. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go over I'm the alpha now. Yeah, I, I, I'm in charge. I'm going away. And they kind of nod and start, start, you know, go their separate ways. It's a very spiritual moment. No. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> it makes no sense. And apparently in your world, the T-Rex is a racist because she was attacked by a couple of raptors. <laughs> well, raptors are bad. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, Alex. Thanks for coming by. Hey, and uh, this is a fun episode. Oh, I'm loopy. <clears throat> yeah. Sure, it's fun. We talked about the Holocaust. I for miss life minutes. with Loopy and Kaboom. <laughs> Kablam. That's what it was. Kablam. Mm-hmm. Life with Loopy, Action Team Now. I miss that show. <laughs> uh, tired ramblings. So you can find me. Alex doesn't do social media, nope. really. So don't bother looking him up. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. You can email us your thoughts. You can email us, you know, your opinions, uh, your your one-time view movies as well at tsmackpod at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook and Podbean, Talking Smack, SMAC, Superheroes, Movies, Animation, Comics. And as always, you can tweet at us at Talking Smack Pod. So, Alex, thanks again for coming on and doing another fun episode. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, thanks, everyone, for taking the time to listen. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, we haven't received any comments yet, so Aww. comments comments are accepted. And, uh, again, if you're the first one, maybe you'll win something special. Probably not, though. Yeah, um, just so you guys know, uh, our, our exit music this week is the remix by Eminem featuring Beyonce. They, w- they have teamed up together. You to- mean Queen Nala. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They've teamed up together to remix our title theme. And so it's going to be pretty good. Uh, we hear that there's an extra verse that was added. And um, Beyonce's chorus is just breathtaking. You went really elaborate with that one. <laughs> Roll that theme music. <laughs>